On this entry of Animation Deliberation, we are covering the exciting new Star Wars series. That's right, Star Wars Visions, the series that just dropped on Disney+. Plus. We're giving our instant reactions, so stay tuned for that right after these disturbances in the Force. At Solomon Brothers Jewelers, their customers always come first. They're a family business that has been setting the standard of customer care for over 30 years. They have thousands of in-stock options for wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds, and can promise the lowest prices at the highest quality. A diamond marks a new chapter in your life. Trust Solomon Brothers experts with commemorating the most precious moments in your life. Visit SolomonBrothers.com today to begin making memories. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. Hey listeners, I've got an exciting giveaway to tell you about. For the month of September, the Stranded Panda Network is doing a raffle to give away your choice of a Nintendo Switch or an Oculus Quest. All you have to do is leave a positive 5-star review on any Stranded Panda podcast on Apple Podcasts. Each review counts as a raffle, so when you're done enjoying this episode of Animation Deliberation, take a moment to check out some awesome shows like Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast, Superhero Ethics, Source Pages, Binges Assemble, and more. To see all our shows and rules for the raffle, check out strandapanda.com slash contest. Now back to the show. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Animation, deliberation, a conversation, and a celebration of our favorite action animated series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, that's all I got. <laughs> that was fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I didn't know how that was going to land, but I'm glad it got a good response so far. And Everyone, if you don't recognize the voice already, it's not Zuhair. I am, I'm Jay Scotty. I'm the host of Animation Deliberation here. I am not joined by Zuhair this week. I am joined by a voice that uh, hopefully you're coming to recognize that's becoming somewhat of a regular featured guest here, Mr. Andrew Rogers. Welcome back. Well, thank you. The honor is always mine. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you always being so willing. You always bring a lot of great insights, and I really admire your passion. So great to have you back. Yeah, thank you. I'm uh, I'm excited for Star Wars. It's uh, first time to talk about this with you guys, so this will be exciting. It's been sweet, Marvel sweet. all the time. Yeah, yeah. So we won't bury the lead here. Before we get into super spoilery details, I'll provide you the opportunity. Why don't you just tell me what your overall impressions on this new series is? Well, I will say I know that the show is definitely not going to be for everyone. I know that it's not going to be every Star Wars fan's favorite. But I absolutely love the entirety of this series. It was so much fun to get into. It felt proper Star Wars while giving us this amazing look at animation in the anime styles. These studios all did an amazing job. Um, These writers are just fantastic at giving you such a gripping story that I have nothing but great things to say about this show. So I'm really excited to talk about this. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I I feel like I kind of land in a similar area to you there. Some episodes were definitely stronger than others. I I enjoyed every single one of them. It was nine different stories from seven seven celebrated studios here. Um, Some landed a little bit better than others, but I absolutely loved every single one. And it was just so great to see so many different styles, all beautiful in their own right. 
um, just doing what Star Wars do, does best, taking these motifs and and just driving them home. So, yeah, with uh, with all that being said, let's go ahead and just get into the nitty gritty and start spoiling this thing. Did you have a particular favorite episode or maybe a, a handful of episodes if it's too difficult to narrow it down? I think if I had to, I can pick two episodes um, and they okay. were two that I definitely went in um, excited for both of the studios that did those episodes. So I might be a bit biased because of that. Okay, cool. Um, my two favorites, I would say, were the twins, which was episode three mm-hmm. and the ninth Jedi, which was episode five. Dude, we we are 100% on the same page. <laughs> those are my absolute favorite episodes as well. That's yeah, awesome. I don't know if I can pick which of the two was better, but those two just had it all in my uh. opinion. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm only on a first viewing here, and uh, just to, we should kind of address this as well. We talked about it off air, but you listened or you watched all of these um, and listened to the Japanese voice performances and, and read with subtitles. Where I'll go ahead and say that I I listened to the dubs, but I also um, had subtitles going along with it. But um, with that being said, I do think that the Ninth Jedi edges out just a little eensy bit better for me but they're both just just stellar episodes yeah for sure um saying that you know i did the watch through in japanese i just kind of thought it would be an interesting way hoping that you would uh watch in english as well so we could have a little bit of different perspectives on kind of how it felt to see if it felt any different but seeing that we had the same favorite episodes i really like knowing okay both the english and japanese did a good job they didn't you know write it for one and not the other they kind of put them together in a very nice uh format yeah yeah i agree and uh with the ninth jedi being mentioned as far as uh english vocal performance performances go it is worth noting um we talk about the marvel cinematic universe a lot on this show as well as the the podcast network the stranded panda podcast network um simu liu who just obviously appeared as, as shang chi uh, he did the voice of La Zima, the sabersmith. No in the, way. In the episode. He did. Yeah, yeah. Super cool to to have him participate. Well, now I need to go back and watch this in English. That's going to be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but let's just let's go ahead and break these episodes down. So while we've already kind of uh, talked about the Ninth Jedi a little bit more, um, it looks like it was production. Uh, production IG. Okay. Okay. Are you familiar with them before? Uh, yes, they are. Uh, they're probably the biggest name studio. If I had to pick from all of the ones in the list, uh, okay. their biggest title is attack on Titan, which you probably oh, know. Yeah, of course. Okay. They also uh, made ghost in the shell and one of my favorite guilty pleasure animes, uh, high Q. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. So I am a fan of the work that they do outside of this. So I was excited to see them on the list and then them making this episode was really good. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. And it, uh, full transparency, as much as a, a fan of animation, I am. Uh, when it comes to anime, I will say I'm a bit more of a casual fan. I've got my my celebrated series that I really enjoy um, just off the top of my head. Death Note, Dragon Ball Z, uh, Full Metal Alchemist, and I, I just recently enjoyed Demon Slayer and uh, My Hero Academia. Um, but all that being said, of course, I'm familiar with Ghost in the Shell and whatnot, but I would not have been able to tell you any of the production um, studios behind that. So uh, just one more reason it's, it's great to, to bring you in and, and bring that knowledge. But for my purposes, um, I did find this, this one to be one of the more cinematic episodes. I just felt like there was such a, 
high level of detail in the background and just the character work. Um, thinking about the speeder bike chase, just the action there really, I felt feelings of like Return of the Jedi, even though it was on a, an ice setting. And I, I felt a few of the episodes kind of reminded me of the like studio. Is it Studio Ghibli or Studio Ghibli? I always get confused on that. I believe it's Ghibli. I could be wrong. Ghibli? Okay. Um, it kind of had the, almost that flair to it to me. You have these uh, these highly, highly detailed backgrounds, and then just the characters kind of move around in almost like a, a liquid, very fluid fashion. And I just, I love the story as well, just seeing, you know, it was a bit of a mystery, a bit of a mislead, having this, uh, this character of Margrave Juro. I want a Margrave Juro action figure with the green lightsaber, like, right now. I want the green lightsaber and the full mask on as well. That entire getup was so just, honestly, I think he was an amazing character. That whole mask getup, it was just a menacing, awesome Jedi. And I agree. I want to see more of him and more merchandise of him. I honestly want merchandise of a lot of these characters. <laughs> they gave us some really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I hope we see a lot of these characters um, translated to various toys and collectibles and whatnot. But uh there was a moment where he grabbed one of the Sith's lightsabers and he like switched the color over, right? That whole thing of tempering the kyber crystals so they changed to depend on who was holding it was ah. just an awesome design choice. Okay, that they did. super, super cool, yeah. And I loved, uh, what was her name, Kara? How she almost had that one that was like, you could see through. It was like, uh, like yeah. Yeah, that moment of... It was translucent almost. Yes, translucent, yes, yes. And then as soon as she started to show more power, it turned green to show she has more force power in her. Right, right, yes, yes. That was just such a great idea. Yeah, and and for my purposes, I love the blue lightsabers, but green is my favorite color, and I, I frequently find myself resonating the most with the characters that wield green lightsabers, so I love seeing so many of the bad characters in, in these various stories wielding the green lightsaber. Yeah, and while we're on the topic of lightsabers, just blanket statement across this whole show, the design choices of the katana styles and the different swords that I don't know the name of, but the fact that they put them all over the place with the way that they looked yeah. was just so aesthetically pleasing and so cool. Yeah, for sure. It was it was one of those things in the prequels. As much as I love the prequels, it was like you felt, especially with like the character of General Grievous, like they had to feel a way to like continually up the ante with like the crazy lightsaber designs but a, a series like this just lent itself to being able to do that and we'll talk about it with one episode in particular uh, but they just do some really cool stuff with the the lightsaber stylization for sure anything else you want to mention um for the ninth jedi i, I guess i i kind of wanted to bring up that old droid that was kind of like sipping hot oil tea i just i love little little things like that to show you the slice of life of the star wars universe he was so sassy and so upset <laughs> and the crazy cackling while he was flying the ship. <laughs> I don't know what his deal was, but <laughs> I want to know more about these droids' lives that he's the only one left and is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then just watching them fight, like, wow, she's pretty good. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's just sitting there still sipping his drink. Yeah. The, uh, the peanut gallery over there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I did also want to say on the topic of this episode... um, the entirety of that chase scene that you brought up with the speeder bikes um, leading into that when they had the whole mining process of the kyber crystals, that was just 
beautifully done, mm-hmm. but the music throughout the entirety of that was so just jaw dropping. I was taken right into the scene. It felt classic Star Wars where you had the curious woodwinds and then, you know, the big flaring trumpets would come in during the fight scenes. But the music throughout the entirety of this episode, I think, may have been the best of all nine. Mm, um, interesting. They just did such they did a, an amazing job composing for it to be noticeable, but still just adding to the scene was a really, really good job. Star Wars is always known for the music. For and sure. They did, they did really good with the show um, in terms of that, but that entire mining scene was just so much better because of the composing. Yeah, I'm excited to go back and rewatch it. I, the music didn't stand out to me as much, but I think that's just because I was so sucked into that scene. Sometimes that's just the music doing its job, so... Yeah, and that may also have been uh, part of me not listening for the English words. Oh, sure. That I was able to focus more on the music and the other things going on in the background because I'm not actually focusing on the Japanese words because I didn't actually say that at the top. I watched in Japanese. I do not speak Japanese. I'm completely <laughs> reading something. <laughs> yeah, it's important to clarify there. But yeah. All right. Cool, cool. Uh, unless you had anything else you want to bring up about the Ninth Jedi, I think we can go ahead and transition to the other episode we both brought up as our favorite, uh, The Twins. So I'll, I kind of yeah, let you. Let's, let's get yeah, I kind of let you take the lead on this one since I took the lead on the Ninth Jedi. Well, I'll start off on the same thing that I said with the other one. Um, I'm familiar with this studio. This is a Trigger Inc. I believe is the studio. Yeah. Um, they made Kill a Kill. Oh, their big animes. Right on. And I enjoyed that show through and through. I would recommend it to anyone over the age of eighteen. Okay. If you're <laughs> looking for anime, it was enjoyable but crazy and that entire show is very similar in style to the way that they did the art in this episode oh cool i absolutely love the way that they did this where some of the stuff in the background was the lineless drawn out painted colors Mm -hmm. and then the minute you get into a fight scene they have these extremely sharp lines and jutting movements that just make it look not quite fluid but it's just this you know jarring jumping back and forth the entire time as they're swinging the lightsabers and going about the uh action movements as you will yeah yeah i agree and and then the story was great too oh for sure for sure yeah for my money this was the most uh visually interesting um it was a more simplified style but it really did you, you brought up like the backgrounds without any outlines and very being very painterly like it reminded me of like some of like the 1950s kind of like advertising or like something you'd see in like the background of like one of those like old tom and jerry cartoons obviously updated for modern times and with a lot more fidelity but it kind of had that art deco feel but yeah i i agree not only just the stylization but the story itself it was rather simple and one of the the motifs of star wars has always been like the dichotomy and and the balance of the force and there have frequently been twins featured in a lot of the stories and um i just felt like they took everything over the top and exaggerated everything the story the characterizations and and the style and it it just worked for me and like just seeing a giant multicolored lightsaber rip through a star destroyer was just amazing and like oh that scene was just beautiful yeah and they let you sit on it for so long that you just had all this time to appreciate it Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And you want to talk about over the top as well. Um, That opening scene of the light panning over the first Star Destroyer only to show that it was connected to a second Star Destroyer. Right. Yeah. 
that reveal was fantastic as well as it just being this crazy out there never thought we would have done this kind of thing yeah yeah and even though the animation style is very different from something like what if with this being much more 2d than 3d i did feel like with just kind of almost the lighting like you get extreme blowouts and then like i'm, I'm thinking of the droid that was um hovering around who who's very much was like the evil version of c3po there were there were times where he was like partially in the background and he was like completely blacked out except for his eyes and just super cool and super effective yeah they did a really good job with the way that those characters look and th their lighting choices and again this is me knowing the studio well they do it on purpose to be very starkly different at times to show you we want you to focus on this thing but everything else is just blown out of proportion in the background and it's a really nice stylistic choice to yeah yeah show you what they want to show you this episode gave the first movie poster or rather poster that i want to put on my wall and it's that end scene of him on the planet oh, yeah? with the dual suns and the uh, x-wing in the ground oh yeah yeah super cool super cool yeah very evocative of uh luke skywalker looking out at the binary sunset on tatooine which i, I kind of wanted to bring up the other aspect of it that reminded me of what if a bit and sorry to bring up what if obviously it's on the on the mind right now but there were certain moments in this episode i kind of felt like we were seeing like a multiverse version of luke and leia and it wasn't until like we saw the helmet ripped off of of am or am whatever it was uh and saw that she had blonde hair and blue eyes just like like her twin um yeah there was a, a moment there like especially kare he just he even in the english vocal performance he sounds a lot like luke and you know his droid was r duo instead of r2d2 and that's, again like I, I brought it up that's just what star wars does great it gives these familiar beats and george lucas said it's himself some fans don't really like it but he he said it's all poetry it all rhymes and it's all repetitive but yeah i i really like seeing it just done in such a unique way yeah and star wars was always not sci-fi it was a space opera so give us those big poetic moments like this and it's just gonna do what star wars does be a little campy but also super fun oh yeah yeah any anything else you want to bring up about the twins I mean, that scene with the six arm lightsabers that was coming out as well. Oh, yeah. Um, we saw that in the trailers. You guys talked about how awesome it was going to be, and it was it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think this one was the most outlandish oh, in that regard. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Just the fact that they're having a battle like on top of a Star Destroyer. I love every single Star Wars movie. Um, I have my issues with some of them, and not I... I won't spend too much time being negative here, but with the last Jedi, one of the scenes that doesn't really work for me is when Leia <clears throat> uses the force when she's floating out in space. But again, like this kind of property and this stylization is the perfect place to just do those crazy over the top kind of things. Exactly. It's what I said, uh, again, not to circle back, but when I first featured on what if animation is just the perfect medium for these things because there's no need to suspend disbelief mm -hmm. because you already know that it's not real correct yeah. so you can do anything you want like there was a brief moment when he was standing on top of the x-wing like wait shouldn't he have a spacesuit <laughs> and then after that i didn't care because they were going through hyperspace while he was standing on a x-wing right that would never happen in live action but was amazing in this. correct correct yeah super cool super cool Okay, I guess for the rest of the episodes, did you have other ones that you're just really like itching to talk about? Or should we just hit them in chronological order from here or um, featured order? Yeah, I think at this point, we'll just go in featured order because 
I have great things to say about all of them, but those were the two that I definitely wanted to talk the most about. Yeah, yeah, that that was, I just got to say what a pleasant surprise it was. We did a little bit of housekeeping before we started recording, but that was just such a pleasant surprise to find out that we both had, had the two favorite episodes. And I'll be curious to hear what uh, episodes really resonated with other people, but um, as we mentioned, every single one of them was 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 pretty good and pretty quality. So the first episode we got was The Duel. And this one was done by Kamikaze Duga. Am I pronouncing that correctly? I believe so. Okay. I, I felt like this one was... Um, we talk about the twins being very, very unique in its stylization. But this one, I felt, was almost like... I, I suspect there was almost like motion capture done for this one. I don't know a lot about the studio or their process, but it, it was like a, a rotoscoped motion capture kind of feel for me. Yeah, it was almost dizzying. It kind of felt like the beginning of Into the Spider-Verse, like my eyes had to adjust to this style mm -hmm. because I didn't, my mind couldn't handle what was going on because of the way that they had this 3D, not 3D, shaky line kind of effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I'm vaguely familiar with the studio. Their main um, anime is uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, ah, okay. which I have I have not taken the time to watch personally. I don't I don't believe you had that on your list either. So I've seen a couple of episodes, I, but I'm not I I couldn't pontificate on it by any means. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but their stylization it was really unique, really interesting. I liked the black and white with the uh, specific colors of blasters and lightsabers kind of sprinkled in there. Yeah, that was probably what I appreciated the most about this particular style. Outside of some of the weaponization that we'll, we'll get into, just when the first time you start to see some blaster fire or some lightsabers ignite and everything else, else has been black and white up until this point makes it just really beautiful and, and stand out all the, all, the mo all the more. Yeah. Although I think there was that droid at the beginning that was wearing the straw hat. I think he had some lights in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The little, yeah, the little straw hat. That was kind of funny. <laughs> he, was, he was a silly little droid. That's what we like to see. They gave droids a lot of character in this show, which I always appreciate. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, but with that black and white and only specific colors, it gave a lot of really unique lighting opportunities. Mm-hmm to just have the reflection of a lightsaber on someone's face where the only lighting is coming from those sources because that's the only thing they choose they chose to put color true on. true yeah that's a an excellent point and uh just to talk a, a little bit about like the actual story that took place like for my purposes this one kind of harkened back to the like samurai films of uh, akira kurosawa thinking of like uh, seven samurai where you have like a lone warrior that uh, defends a village. I, I would even say like the, the recent movie Logan, um, which paid a lot of homage to like a Western, like Shane, even that one, even those like classic stories harken back to these like original samurai stories. So uh, I, I love seeing such a classic and, and basic tale kind of and storied tale recontextualized in the, in the star Wars world. And uh, the lone wolf and cub is a, a kind of, again, storied and, and heavily featured motif in a lot of Western storytelling as well as in a lot of samurai tales. And even still in the Star Wars universe here in the live action side of things, the Mandalorian has borrowed a, a lot from that, that particular motif as well. And I, I felt like this episode probably felt the most in keeping with the, the tone that we've experienced in the Mandalorian. Would you agree? 
yes, it definitely had that um, mix because, as a lot of cinephiles will know, samurai films and Western films share a lot of the same values and storytelling attributes, and this just fit right into that uh, motif, exactly as you were saying. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so it's a, a village under attack. The chieftain is a, a young young person. For, for some reason, I guess all the adults have, uh, or all the other people that have stood up in opposition to these bandits that have kind of fashioned armor out of the remnants of, of the empire. Basically, you find out the bandit leader is a, a Sith or a Sith acolyte or someone that came across a, a Sith weapon. And then this hero that we've had defending the villagers the entire time actually reveals that he himself is a a Sith or a former Sith. We don't really get the full story there. And again, this was the first episode I watched and I've watched all the other ones since then. So I might be a little bit fuzzy on the details. You can correct me if I'm wrong on anyth- anything there, Andrew. But this is when we do get to see that uh, what I was alluding to in terms of just the unique weaponization, the umbrella lightsaber. Yeah, um, before we get into the umbrella, not to correct you too much, but I believe the insinuation of the child standing up as the chief, they uh, zoomed out the camera and there was a man lying either sick or dead on the ground. Okay. I think it was to insinuate that was his father and he was taking up the mantle of chief in this village Okay. in his stead because the bandits uh, you know, had taken him out or something along those lines. Okay, understood, yeah. But besides that, you were on the money with everything else and... Yeah, that umbrella lightsaber was, it was interesting because at first I thought it was a number of lightsabers. I liked that they had that moment where she took the cap off of it and it turned back into a singular lightsaber, kind of saying that it was spreading the beam or something. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. And I was curious, I don't know if you know, I didn't do any sort of research on this. Is there actually a Japanese fighting style where they use umbrellas or something like that? Because it felt very choreographed as though it was a formal fighting style in the same way that someone may fight with a katana or something like that. It had such a fluidness to it. It felt like it had to have been a real thing. Yeah, again, I need to do my due diligence and do the research there. Um, I know the weaponized umbrellas is something that we've seen in Japanese films and samurais films. And I, I have to imagine that's based on some real world counterpart, but I don't know what the, the level of functionality there was. I know a, a lot of weapons that we have kind of like fantasized in, in modern media and whatnot don't necessarily work in this, in the same way that they did in, in, in real life. But uh, I have to imagine it's based on something. I'll, we'll, we'll do the research and, and follow up, but it's a great question. Yeah. And on that note, in all honesty, this episode did such a good job of not only expanding the Star Wars world, but giving us a different look at culture. Um, they put so much effort into showing this to be like a small Japanese village, and it felt at home in the Star Wars world, but still paid homage to the cultures that these writers are coming from, and animators as well. Yeah, that, that's a great point, and that's one of the things that stood out uh, to me in this episode, as well as a couple of the other episodes, um, just I won't I won't spoil them completely, but just off the top of my head here, the Village Bride, as well as uh, Lop and Ocho, it was kind of nice to see as big and sweeping that the Star Wars tales often are. Even with series like The Bad Batch and Clone Wars, people have kind of levied these complaints as well. When you do often visit like a little village or planet, it's a very surface level interaction. You don't get a lot of like the the context and the nuance of what's going on. And I felt like every single one of these episodes, even though they're, you know, some of them were only 14, 15 minutes, like they did just such a, a great job of 
creating that atmosphere and and showing the actual ramification that these star wars have on the people on on the planet oh for sure these writers deserve credit for endearing me to the characters and the worlds that they were building with zero backstory zero knowledge you were just dropped right in but the minute that you know even this first episode the duel started and this warrior came over the hill with a little droid by his side i wanted to know what he was about what was going to happen what this duel was going to be and then you started to care about the village the minute that they got it started and you wanted to know who this enemy was why they had the uh, armor of the empire mm-hmm. it was just such a good job of giving us like you said a surface level look but you wanted to know the nitty-gritty of it and they gave you as much as they could in a 15 minute stint which is extraordinarily impressive yeah agreed agreed anything else you want to highlight on the duel the opening episode of the series no i think it was fantastic um i did also love that moment of him giving the kid a kyber crystal at the end oh yeah yeah just wondering are you is he you know doing these good deeds and then what is he doing with the rest of those kyber crystals he had maybe a dozen in his jacket obviously he's a collector like grievous but is he gonna go around you know training up new acolytes or whatever you want to call them because he was obviously opposed to the sith but still having a red lightsaber tells you that there's something going on there. yeah that's kind of an, an interesting thing isn't it we it, again it's it's one of the I, I hate to keep using the word motif but it seems so appropriate especially with a series like this but um in samurai tales often you have the tale of the ronin the like the warrior that has either been disgraced or, or lost his master and you and you get that vibe with this guy he was a sith but he's no longer so um, what does that make him like he he's willing to defend this village but he he makes it out that he's like he's not a good guy so um, if we get a season two which I would I would absolutely love as much as I would be open to seeing completely new stories if they could do some follow-up on on some of these tales I'd be entirely open to it this one in particular yeah well fun fact about this one actually you mentioned uh, him being a Ronin style character mm. uh, they're actually writing a book called Ronin of Visions novel which I believe is supposed to continue on or give some more uh, to this story Oh sweet yeah um, cool just in looking at the notes on Wikipedia here I happened upon there's a book called Ronin that's coming out about this one I don't think there's any other continuations planned but you just might get your wish uh, for this first episode Well perfect cool <laughs> All right. Um, are you ready to move on to episode four, The Village Bride? Or excuse me, episode two. Episode two, Tatooine Rhapsody. Yes, let's go on to this. Cool, one. cool. Do you want to take the lead on this one? Because I'll just kind of come out and say as I, I enjoyed this one, but I talked about some of them not landing quite as well for me. And this was one of the ones. Yeah, I'll take the lead on this one. This landed in a completely different spot for me. Mm-hmm. I think this is just a perfect way to show how much fun an anthology series can be. We don't have to take everything seriously. So let's just have a Star Wars rock band. Yeah. So <laughs> quick synopsis of the episode. Essentially, it is a young Jedi uh, running away at the start of the episode, stumbles upon a Hatiz-looking character. I don't know if we ever confirmed that he actually is Hatiz or not. Mm-hmm. And basically becomes best friends with this guy and says let's start a band so him and a couple of others start a rock band only for uh jabba the hut to send boba fett to hunt them down because this young hatiz betrayed jabba by not taking over a portion of the business i'm guessing and yeah. then as 
you know, they're brought in for execution, and they play such good music that Jabba decides not to execute them. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of the long and short of it. It was... It had to be that kind of fun and funny look. I agree it didn't land in the this is what I want from a Star Wars story boat, but I did just kind of enjoy the jovial nature of what was going on with it. It was a fun time. And I'm curious, oh, yeah. how did uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt do as our lead character? Because I believe he is credited as Jay, the lead voice actor and lead singer of the band. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I th- I thought he did a fine and, and serviceable job. I don't think, I don't think I actually did not uh, recognize that it was him. He did great with the singing, but this is another one that I'll be excited to like go back and rewatch and listen to the Japanese singing. Cause I wonder how much they had to modify um, the lyrics. It, it was still a really enjoyable song with a nice message and had a good sound to it. But uh, there were a couple of times where I felt like the lyrics felt maybe the timing was a little stilted to match up with the music, but it was, it was still really good. And I, I did think it was kind of funny um, that this episode, uh, it was done again by Studio Colorido, which I, I don't really know much about. But uh, for me, it was kind of more of a cutesy kind of like diminutive style, almost um, like chibi style, not full on chibi, but like they had like everyone's heads are a little bit bigger compared to the rest of their body and whatnot. I, I thought it was funny that this was the episode that gave us the most like big name cameos. We saw Jabba. Bib Fortuna, uh, Boba Fett, obviously, who was actually voiced by Tumara Morrison. <laughs> yes, I did see they got him to come back, which I was excited for. Yeah, yeah. I recognized Tumara Morrison um, instantly, but I, I, again, like I said, this episode didn't land with me as quite as well, but I still enjoyed the hell out of it. So I'd be excited to rewatch it um, in the Japanese, like I mentioned, but also I'd re listen to it again in English just to catch um, a little bit more of Joseph Gordon Levitt's JGL jiggle. His, uh, his performance there. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a fun one. Like you said, it was cute. It definitely felt more of a this is a kid's episode kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, it fit right into the Star Wars universe in that way. And, you know, happy Tatooine is something we never really get to see. Yeah. So it's have, a little bit better we... than the usual crime syndicate version. That's true. And have we ever seen rain on Tatooine? That was something that definitely stood out to me. There were like multiple rain scenes on Tatooine. Were they, were they on Tatooine at the start? or? Oh, maybe maybe I'm confused on that. Maybe it was like Dantooine and just kind of looked like um, Tatooine. You might be you might be right there. Uh, but when we did spend time on, on Tatooine as a avid Episode 1 fan, Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, that is, which, uh, you know, that might, not, j- that might not jive with everybody, but I think I'm in good company here. It was, it was great to see Mos Espa and the the site of the Boonta Eve classic. They basically lifted it right out of the film and animated it like to scale. Yeah. And that 3d render that they did was, uh, it was a very nice look at um, mm-hmm. the entirety of it. And yes, do, do not worry. You are in good company. I was young enough that I grew up <laughs> with the prequels. Like they were coming yeah. out as I was in that age demographic of supposedly Jar Jar is not so bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got love for Jar Jar. So it's all good here. Uh, any, anything else you wanted to say about this one? No, um, I'm with you of I want to go back and listen to it in the other language because I thought the song was good in Japanese. It felt very fluid, so it very well could be just a bit of a mistranslation in that regard. Okay, okay, yeah. And maybe that's why I'm looking at this episode a little bit more positively than you are is I just got a slightly different experience, which is kind of unique as well. Oh, for sure, yeah. That's what 
that's what's what's great about this that we got such two professional performances on on either side just no matter what language it was spoken it gives you that opportunity to go back and rewatch but i almost forgot to mention i would have kicked myself for not bringing this up um when the band was playing and they were getting really popular and you saw that their acclaim was like spreading outside of the stadium and, and reaching people that were even like in the cantina and whatnot there was a great cameo there where it was friggin dan and the model nodes from like the original trilogy the cantina band of the those guys looked pissed that there was another band that was gonna like usurp them as the number one band <laughs> your musical skills are on point today i must say <laughs> thank you thank you i didn't notice that i'm gonna have to go back and look and actually one of my first thoughts was why was this not the band that was playing in jabba's palace in episode six like if they got this popular why didn't we just get them there that's a good question. Now that was the Max Rebo band, which is uh, yes, I could not remember the name. Thank you. All good, all good. We could do a whole another episode on the on the various bands in Star Wars, but maybe that's for the Star Wars Universe podcast. We're gonna have a tier list of bands at the end. Of this. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. All right, ready to move on to um, episode four, The Village Bride. Yes, uh, this one's definitely high on my list of, of the remaining ones. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Um, I felt like this one stood out for me as well. It felt it took that um, it took the opportunity of being an anime and 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 relishing in that kind of slower, more beautiful, more heartfelt and sentimental um, storytelling there. And this was done by okay. I'm gonna I guess Kinema because they went they went out of the way to spell it with a K. Yeah, I did not even think to ask myself that question. I just assumed it was Kinema. Probably went the right way about it. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, so I I did think it was a little bit more slow, but uh, definitely definitely very poignant and, and beautifully uh, created. Yeah, I think this episode definitely is high on the list when it comes to the beauty of the art that they did. The entirety of that nature scene at the beginning was oh, yeah. just stunningly uh, well done. All of the forests, the mountains, it just looks so good. Um, I couldn't help but to think of Demon Slayer immediately when we saw the man carrying a woman on his back. Oh, good call. Yeah. I, I went right to uh, Nezuko sitting in a box as soon as yeah. I saw that. <laughs> and that was an, that's a perfect example of these storytellers not giving us backstory, but expecting us to want to know more. We had no idea who this bride and groom were or where they were going or why they were climbing up the mountain. But it just mm -hmm. piqued your curiosity enough to be like, okay, I'm into this story. What's going to happen from here? Yeah, ag agreed. It was a very interesting way to, to tackle the narrative there. It was almost like you were hiking through the woods with them. And as we were seeing this um, older character that was wearing, you know, the the helmet and he's introduced to the the masked character and he immediately says the mask doesn't suit her. So, you, you know, she's hiding something there. But as she's like kind of just eavesdropping and observing them make their their trek we as the audience are kind of doing the same thing and it feels very straightforward until they uh, make contact with that stone. And, and uh, what was it? Uh, the Magina, the, like the planet's memories. It's, it all, it was almost kind of like avatar uh, in that way. It's it, like all the inhabitants of the planet have like a mental connection and a memory that's shared with the planet. Yeah. And I believe the insinuation was that, this village is referring to it as the Magina, but it is the force and it's the okay. living embodiment of the energy in all of us and the memory that can kind of come with that. 
and that's why you know they, they were able to say oh you feel the magina too basically you're using the force you can sense the force and it was a really nice way to show that not everyone in the galaxy knows about the Jedi. Not everyone knows about the Force. Instead, it's this small village that just thinks they have a great uh, relationship with nature, and it's actually they just have a great relationship with the Force. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point. And the other thing that kind of stood out to me with this episode is that it took place in the Clone Wars era, and I think it's the only one that we know like outright is taking place during like the Separatist and Republic conflict, right? Was it during or was it after? Because I know these raiders, they said, reprogram the droids, so I couldn't tell if that meant, you know, the Separatists uh, had already fallen or if they had just stolen them from the Separatists. Oh, okay, okay, that might be a good point. Yeah, that that could be, because obviously we're spending time with the memories of the of the planet. There could have been more passage of time than I realized, and I didn't pick up on the, on the line where they reprogrammed them. So, you, yeah, you're probably right there in that case, but either way, still nice to see droids. <laughs> Yes, droids are always good, you know. We didn't hear Roger Roger, which I know is a problem for some people, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, growing up with the prequels, I love it. Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. And then uh, the the ship that the bandits, I guess I'll call them bandits, uh, raiders, what, what have you, that they were using to actually control the droids, it was like a modified uh, Carillion freighter, which obviously looks a lot like the Millennium Falcon, just with some modifications there. So always nice to see the references there. Yeah, I immediately noticed when there was that drop gate. Like, that is a, that's Carillion. That looks like the Falcon right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I guess, I, I, and I hate to be, again, too negative because I really did enjoy this episode as well. But I did think that the awkward, the, excuse me, the ending was a little awkward because you had that whole showdown where she finally ignites her, ignites her lightsaber and says that I'm a Jedi and saves the bride from this this leader here and he drops to the ground. And from there it transitions to kind of like a montage of these stills where you see her just kind of like leaving the planet. And I, I thought it was a, a little bit awkward given how well everything was done up until that point. Yeah. It was kind of just a, okay, everything is fine. Now she's taking care of this. I took an insinuation that now she's going to go and do better, but there was that weird mix of she was looking for her master somewhere in the middle that was just never talked about again. Mm. So it, it was a bit weird with the ending. I do have to say, though, may have been the most classic anime scene of the ignition of the yellow lightsaber, turning it sideways like a sword, and then it just cuts to her moving so quickly that the camera can't catch her and she's jumped through him, cut his hand off and he slumps to the ground. Yeah. yeah. It was just that jaw dropping anime moment that makes you just want to go. Yes. And clench your fists yeah. together and throw them in the air. It was, it was so good. Yeah. You've seen it a million times, but it, it always feels so satisfying. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> and it, it was, it. and it was super well done. So yeah, I, I agree. I think that's it for me on uh, the village bride. Yeah, I think that was it. I actually took notes for once. Usually for what if we're just kind of going off the cuff, but there was so much here I had to jot down some things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, we already covered the ninth Jedi, which was the fifth episode. So then we move on to T.O.B. One, episode six, which was done by Science Saru, one of the studios that was afforded the opportunity to do multiple stories here. And uh, this one, I'll say right off the bat, Astro, Astro Boy vibes. Yes, I, I do agree with that. I would say this for me was one of the episodes that fell a bit flat. 
Um, yeah, I agree. It, it was not my favorite. I also do want to throw out there that the studios that both got two episodes, um, it was Trigger and Science Saru. It seems like they yeah. did the two episodes in different styles, which I found really interesting. I kind of assumed they were going to use the same um, stylization for both, but they decided not to do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. I I think Trigger, I, I think pretty obviously they took their two different styles in like completely different directions to where I didn't even recognize it was the same studio until I saw it come up. But with uh, Science Saru, I think I was able to tell like right off the bat that it was the same studio, even though they were done in different styles. There were a few things that were consistent throughout. And I felt like it was kind of like the the softer details that has almost kind of like a living like watercolor feel to it and um, a little bit of abstractness to it and kind of messiness the lines aren't super clean or any anything like that yeah it makes everything feel kind of spongy almost spongy's perfect yeah, yeah. spongy's a great way to describe it yeah like yeah. i did want to go up to this droid and just like give him a squeeze yeah <laughs> <laughs> he just looks like he needs a hug yeah 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 um it, it was it was one of the ones i i kind of said it about uh tattooing rhapsody it was a little more cutesy we were afforded the opportunity for some cool action sequences that were kind of stylized that i liked but i was kind of i thought that they were subverting expectations by making it so like cutesy and kidsy in the beginning and like him having his imagination like open up and dreaming about being a jedi and he he talked about having this calling and his uh his creator, the guy that's kind of overlooking, watching him, the professor, I think is what he refers to him as. He gives him this rule, like never go in the basement. I was suspecting that we were going to have a, like a darker turn where when he finally went into the basement, he was going to find out that like at one point in time, he was a human and was his Padawan. And like he suffered a grievous injury or something like that and had to be like facilitated. Yes. I was almost expecting something similar to have been like that's why he has this imagination is because he was a kid that wanted to be a jedi or something along those lines i i'm a little happy it didn't go there but it was still, <laughs> there was still a lot of emotion behind uh what went on between him and the professor throughout this episode though i give them some credit for that oh sure sure yeah it was uh, it felt like the pinocchio story. i was going to say i got some serious geppetto and pinocchio vibes if he's a real boy yeah, yeah. And then as soon as you hear his name, T-O-B-1, I was like, okay, Toby. A... <laughs> oh, you went Toby. I thought it was an Obi-Wan reference of Obi-Wan. Ah, okay, okay. But uh, did you actually catch, I, I know you said you watched with subtitles that toward the end of the episode, as he started developing the Jedi powers, and when he kind of knighted him as the Jedi ghost, um, he switched from calling him T-O-B-1 to calling him Toby? Yeah, yeah, I did notice that, yeah. That was a very humanizing moment for him. Oh, certainly, in a certainly. Way. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That was kind of his moment of becoming a real boy. Yeah. As it were. I do have some questions about how a droid can use the Force, but, again, suspension of disbelief. They kind of cut these writing studios loose and said, do what you want. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't for know sure. if that would be possible. <laughs> Well, and and that's one of the things a, a lot of like animes and, and sci-fi kind of explore as well is like, at what point does like artificial intelligence kind of like blur the lines be between, you know, becoming sentient? And is it possible in the Star Wars universe that a, a robot could evolve to the point to have a connection with the force? I mean, that's all pretty heady stuff. And this episode, I don't think was necessarily tackling all those heavy themes, but it's it's interesting just to spark the conversation and everybody 
that's the thing. Star Wars is for everybody and everybody has the things that, that they take away from it and the things that um, sparks their imagination. So at any rate, these are all talented animators and storytellers. So I relish just the opportunity. The, uh, the Inquisitor was cool and, and, and the lightsaber battle was pretty cool. And I liked a lot of the lighting that went on in opposition to the kind of spongy and unclean style we talked about. I felt like that's kind of where they honed in and allowed like the lighting of the, like the lightsabers to allow for some of those harsher and more clean lines. Yeah, I thought it was good. I was not a super big fan of the fight scene in this episode specifically. It just felt a little too all over the place for my liking. It was a little too like blobs kind of moving around each other. I, I, I can hear that. It was it was very cartoony and I think it kinda reminded me of like some of the cartoons from the nineties in some ways like Dexter's Lab and, yeah, and it, stuff like that. That's why I liked it. It almost felt Looney Tunes-esque in, like, those movements just can't happen, but you're okay with sure. it. Sure, yeah, that's that's a good comparison there, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, anything else you want to say about this one? No, no, I think, uh, I think it was, a, it was, it was still a good episode. I can't really complain about any of them, but I would say this is probably at the bottom, so we got another three good ones to go. Yeah, and I, I imagine that'll probably be the general consensus, is that this one probably won't land with as many people but there might be some people out there that this was just right up their alley and it might end up being their favorite one but yeah and i i think there's always the conversation and star wars is a really good example of this of it's for everyone and there's different age groups like i said i grew up with the prequels so i have much better memories than people who were excited for star wars and then were let down by the prequels because they grew up with the original trilogy because i kind of went through that with the sequels Oh, sure. sure. But I, I, and I know kids growing up now that are far younger than me that love the sequels because that's the Star Wars that they grew up with. And that's perfectly fine. So there might even be someone younger or older that loves this episode. And I think that's great. Yeah. Uh, I could not agree more. Could not agree more. That's what's great about Star Wars. And uh, ready to move on to uh, the next one, Episode 7, The Elder? Yes. All right. This one didn't make my top two, but it was still one of my favorites for sure. Uh, and this was Trigger, Trigger Returning. Yes. Yeah. And we already talked about how, how different a style they chose to embrace. This was the one, like, I honestly did not know it was Trigger again until I saw the credits. Yeah, it was a bit rounder in terms of what they did. They didn't take the sharpness and juddiness that we talked about loving in the Twins but they still did a fantastic job with all of the art stylization in this. And this is another great one um, in talking about the culture that they brought to that small village um, that is very Japanese, very cultural and very, you know, homey feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I guess as far as like the story for this one, we kind of compared uh, TOB one to like Pinocchio. I felt like this one was almost like the, the story of Icarus where you have this like headstrong Padawan who is like itching for a fight and he kind of flies too high too soon. Yes. I, it's definitely a story that we've seen before in all sorts of different mediums, but they did a very good job of differentiating it and making it something special. Yeah. Yeah. And you just build up this relationship between the mentor and, and the Padawan. I know the Padawan's name was Dan, but I don't know if I caught the the master's name, but he very much reminded me of like a young Qui-Gon Jinn. Y yes. The, the master was a Qui-Gon for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
but yeah, anyway, you, you have this, this Padawan that's like itching for the fight and this, this master kind of wants to give him that freedom to learn. Um, and that's when they split up, you know, they know that there's a disturbance that they've sensed. And that's the whole point that they come to this, this planet. It's an ancient and evil force, but he doesn't know if it's necessarily Sith or not. So they find the ship and the master wants to stay by the ship and the Padawan pursues the old man up the mountain where he has what I found to be, we've, we've talked about some of the lightsaber battles um, in this series, how effective they were. We didn't really bring it up in the ninth Jedi, but that was one of the things that I appreciated about that episode. The most was the choreography in the fight, but this, this first lightsaber battle with the elder was the most terrifying for me. It had my, I actually felt like a lot of tension. I thought he was a very effective and, and scary villain. And I, I really feared for our heroes. Yeah, I didn't necessarily even know whether or not our heroes were going to make it out at all. I could have very well seen that this was the end, and that's why we never heard about this Sith, because these Jedi never got back to report it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it could have been anything like that. They did a fantastic job, and I loved the way that it came full circle, almost with a moral at the end of, I don't know how it would have gone if life had not caught up to this man and he was older. If he was in his prime, what would have been different? Right, right. And it's like, that's kind of the, the lesson there. It's as much as the elder himself presented the obstacle that they had to face, it's like kind of like the obstacle that everyone's facing is time. The young Padawan, he hasn't had enough time to become the warrior that he wants to be. Um, the master at this point in time, he's kind of in his prime, but the elder is, is not so, but the master has the, the cognizance and knows that he's already weaker than he was and that the, the Padawan will become stronger. So as much as it was like a, a story of Icarus flying high too high too soon. And I thought that Dan was dead and I, I would have been, I. <laughs> I would have been okay with that as well. Um, it was nice to see him be able to be afforded the opportunity to learn, learn that lesson. Yeah. Beautifully said for sure. Um, they did a great job with this and I agree this uh, lightsaber battle was good. Um, I don't believe you've watched Clone Wars, have you? Only a handful of episodes. Only a handful. Well, I will say in the Clone Wars, it gives me such an appreciation of Count Dooku in the way that he is a casual lightsaber fighter when he will face someone like Obi-Wan. He just tosses his lightsaber around knowing that he is better than him. And it felt very similar to the way that the Elder against the Padawan was just, eh. I can take you on any day, kid. Let me just throw my lightsabers around a little bit to get warmed up here. And it was a very eloquently done fight to show what happens when you're not quite as experienced. Oh, yeah, for sure. And again, just how scarily the Elder was animated, the way his eyes, his pupils kind of like shrunk in and you just got these big hollow black eyes and his toothy grin. The yellow toothy grin. Yeah, he's relishing the fight and just the fact that he's so giddy and gleeful makes him that much more menacing and scary. And he's he's pretty short, too. It's kind of comical when you see them. You get that classic, you know, when a duel's about to happen, you get the horizon line with the two figures facing each other off just to see how comically taller Dan was than him. It was a, a little funny. Yeah, and it's definitely the bit of an anime trope of the strong old man that is oh, yeah. far smaller but still far superior. Mm hmm. Yeah. Definitely. He's a little bit of an antithesis to Yoda in that way. Oh, for sure. Do we think Yoda's alive at this point? Yoda's, what, several hundred years old. If this was well, anything before our series, they they could have very much well known Master Yoda. That could have been an interesting you know, one. What, 
Yoda was what, like 800, 900 in Return of the Jedi when he finally. It was became... something like that, yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's the thing too with this being like an anthology series. Like they really could take place at any time. They always just make these illusions. Like the Sith were destroyed hundreds of years ago. And it's like, this is all a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So. Yeah, and there was that moment of this could be before everything we've seen, or this could be after. Like, the Sith could be fully gone the second time that Palpatine uh, was taken down. Yeah, totally. And I I love that they didn't feel the need on any of these episodes, really, to give us a timeline. They said it doesn't matter when this occurs, it's just happening at some point. We have some obvious illusions of, okay, the Empire might be in power, or this is pre-Empire during the Republic. So it, it was nice that they didn't feel the need to loop this into our Star Wars canon. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It probably would have been kind of shoehorned and they probably would have had to make creative sacrifices uh, to make that happen. So anytime you can just give a studio or studios like these that are so celebrated just carte blanche to do what they want, I think you're making the, the right call there. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to highlight about um, episode seven, The Elder? Um, no, I don't think so. I think it was fantastic. This is a great example of them uh, doing justice with unique lightsabers, the way that they looked like small um, dagger-sized blades yeah. almost. But yeah, they also cool. had that ring of energy at the bottom as though to be like a hilt protector. Yeah, yeah, that was it, cool. It was, it was super cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, all right, moving on to episode eight, Lop and Ocho. So this was done by Gino Studio, who I have to imagine, I again, is it Gino, Gino? Uh, again, I'm not familiar. I really should have looked at oh. pronunciations. I, I have them uh, all written down, but didn't actually no, think about how they... That, that's not on you to, to look up pronunciations. I'm the, I'm the one that's running the podcast here. I should have, but I think people appreciate the kind of cavalier approach as well at least i hope they do <laughs> we're generally pretty good about these kinds of things or rather <laughs> you and zuhair especially are very yeah. good about making sure that we do justice to all of the things well thank you thank we you can. yeah um, i have to imagine this studio is uh again all of these studios are, are celebrated but i have to imagine this one has some particular clout because i again i felt like the quality of the animation here um, I felt like they intentionally embraced kind of like a retro feel that reminded me very much of like the late 80s, early 90s for um, very high quality anime like Akira comes to mind. Um, there were a couple of times where I got Sailor Moon vibes. W- what did you think about this episode? Um, I thought it was fantastic. I will say just briefly touching on you talking about the studio. I have never heard of them before. And okay. They're actually a fairly young studio. They were founded in 2015. Oh wow. Okay. So when you talk about clout, I'm sure they're going to get there. Just looking mm. at the high quality scale of this episode, they did such a good job of putting this whole planet in perspective and building an entire culture within it that you understood almost immediately what was going on, what the dynamics were. And yeah, they did a really good job of creating something uh, unique here for this planet. It gave me some familiar vibes. Um, I can't remember the names of the planet in Rogue One where they were mining the kyber crystals. Um, Jeddah. 
Jeddah. It felt very much like the city center of Jeddah in some of those scenes where you had, like, the terror going on and the stormtroopers around. Like, it felt very familiar like that, but sure. was still yeah. different enough to be this big city scale that obviously was not what we had on Jeddah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a, a very appropriate comparison. There were definitely Rogue One vibes and just in terms of getting to see the impact that the Empire can have on a planet on like an ecological level. So, and again, with the main character here, Lop, I just appreciate with like animation. Um, some of my favorite anim animated series and animated characters are Anthrom, Anthrom, Anthrom from... <laughs> I can normally say this word. Why is it so difficult right now? Anthropomorphize. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, just it's really cool to see um, a, a character. Again, we talk about cutesy and whatnot, but uh, I, I feel like just having like a character that looks like a rabbit, but is so capable and, and badass and so passionate is, is really cool and just uh, sucks me in immediately. Yeah, it took me a moment to get adjusted. I will be completely honest. It didn't feel quite Star Wars yet, because obviously sure. we have all of these different alien races, but there's just something about the way that George Lucas uh, created those aliens that they always felt scaly, slimy. We didn't have that many like specifically furry besides Chewbacca-looking aliens, so to True. just see straight up a rabbit was a little jarring at first, <laughs> but then you just kind of remembered aliens are going to look different across the board depending on where they're from what they're doing and i was okay with it then it was just a bit different um at first to see yeah that, that's totally fair i can totally understand the adjustment period there and i probably experienced that a little bit too but i um, just got over it pretty quickly uh and i will say as much as i like this episode and really appreciated the story and the emotional impact i do think that this is one of the times where it being a short, I felt it didn't benefit as, as much from like, I really would have liked to see this particular story fleshed out a, a bit more and have gotten the full emotional impact of the falling out of this, this um, family and, and these sisters. But all that being said, I will say uh, TD's destruction, her little droid that was like her, her selfie um, family photo droid, their destruction was, was the most, emotional I, I was in this entire series <laughs> yeah that was a heartbreaking moment for sure i yeah i i was upset i was very <laughs> viscerally upset in that moment as i was watching it yeah 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 i completely agree with what you're saying uh it the pacing of the episode i think was just really weird they were going mm. for these slow builds we're going to tell you the story about these characters we're not going to have a lot of action at first but they still didn't have enough time to quite build it up. So I agree mm -hmm. if it was just a little bit longer, the slow build form of it would have worked. And I think it just fell flat because they didn't quite get to the endearment levels um, that you're expecting out of something on a scale like this. You could see where they were going and they were really, really close. Yeah. And at the same time, as much as we're saying we didn't get endeared enough, we're both ready to cry over a droid. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all around, I think it, it was still a good thing. You knew what was going on with this family, why they were getting to the places that they were. So, Yeah, yeah. And then it's it's just worth mentioning again, like how beautiful the episode was. We got to see some of the references to like uh, Japanese color when the father's telling the story to Lop about the inheritance of the, the lightsaber. I, I really appreciated that stuff. And then just 
the cherry blossoms in the background when they're fighting just absolutely breathtaking and such a such a, a unique backdrop for a star wars lightsaber battle oh for sure and the petals falling through the air just gave it this emotional quality that I can't quite explain why uh, cherry blossom petals do that, but we all know that feeling of they're falling, <laughs> there's sadness to it. Like, I can't explain yeah. it. And it's almost yeah. a trope at this point because we've seen it yeah. before. Um, yeah. But I-, I will say that may be one of the most visually stunning scenes that we got in this episode was the uh, telling of the inheritance with the blue light on the ground as he's, I believe, force projecting or whatever the case may have been to bring up those images. Mm-hmm. of the people training with the lightsabers and it being passed from person to person and there was one amazing detail that i noticed in there that i can't help but to bring up because i absolutely sure. loved it um they zoomed in at, on one of the little training scenes right at the end and it was a circular symbol it looked like a crane or something along those lines to be a crest great great and, call and then they transitioned over to the Jedi symbol that we're so familiar with. And it just showed this heritage to the Jedi symbol whilst also hearkening back to Japanese culture and different things. And it was absolutely amazingly done. I loved the detail. They didn't need to do it. But the fact that someone came up with this idea of we're going to make it a crane as opposed to the normal symbol, I just absolutely loved. Could could not agree more. It was uh, I'm I'm super glad you highlighted that because it stuck out to me as well. And yeah, absolutely beautiful and such a inventive transition there. I I don't know whose idea that was, but they deserve all the accolades and all the kudos for it. It was beautiful. Yeah, and I will say, um, you said that the elder was probably your favorite fight. I think that this fight um, may have been my favorite of all of the... Actually, no. The Ninth Jedi was better. (laughs) (laughs) I I kind of forgot about that. Now, this one was definitely up there with the stylized weapons of the father having... I cannot remember the name of the weapon for the life of me, but is the one that Raphael the Ninja Turtle uh, uses. Oh, the Psy? Psy. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, That they had these futuristically star wars styled sigh but they were still just normal blades that the sister was using um i definitely do not know the name of the weapon but it's the three um link with the blade on either end but as opposed to having chains in the middle they had the beams of energy to hold it together and then coming out with the katana styled lightsaber that had an engraving on it so that you knew that it was the family sword we've seen it before in other uh, mediums and that's a thing that they do within the culture they just did a really good job with all of the weapons and then the choreo uh, choreography of the fight was also just fantastic as they're shouting at each other. You could feel the emotion. There's just so much gravitas to the entire thing. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And um, I agree with you. I kind of bounce around on which, which particular fight is my favorite, but I do agree with you that this is definitely one of the standout ones for all of the reasons you listed. Um, and then I guess with the elder, I don't know if it is actually my favorite, but I, it is the most harrowing for me. It just kind of was the most tense. Uh, yeah. But I, I think I agree with you that the ninth Jedi featured the best choreography. But this one, we already mentioned, like the the cherry blossoms in the background. I think it kind of celebrated that that style of kung fu and and sword play. That's a little more like wireworky, if if that makes sense. Kind of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and uh, yes. House of Flying Daggers. Yeah, yeah. The the classic uh, mediums for all of those is just exactly what they were shooting for, and I think they hit it. Oh, uh, could yeah. I'm I'm with you there. 
I was just going to say, I'm almost wondering if we didn't do Ninth uh, Jedi justice <laughs> as we keep talking back on it. I'm like, we really just gushed about that for a couple minutes. We didn't actually say how great the fight scene was and all of the other things. We were just oh. like, oh, this was great. That was great. Oh, we can take a moment before we, we transition to the final episode here. Yeah, we can just kind of, it's it's kind of funny because we're getting on to the Ninth episode. We will take a, a pause to go back to the Ninth Jedi. <laughs> ninth Jedi. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah let's uh let's just get in into it like it's so it's um margrave juro juro yes, margrave juro. margrave juro yeah i i will say what, the only issue i had with this episode is that the main character's name was ethan <laughs> i i don't know why that bothered me so much but we have these amazing names in star wars we have these amazing cultures that are enveloped in to give us you know unique things and then we just have ethan yeah yeah it was, it it was, was kind of funny it was I, it was kind of funny <laughs> and it was also that funny thing of i'm listening to it in japanese so ethan is also the last name that you're expecting to hear <laughs> I, i'm just so used to anime where you have main characters like kageyama or gone or different things like that they're very unique names so ethan sure. is just so <laughs> jolting it's funny yeah and I, I did appreciate the fact that they kind of like set him up initially. Like you thought he was going to be the main character in the, in the focal point and you're going to kind of see him rise up. And even when, you know, they first look at the lightsaber and somebody else is holding it, but he takes it and he's the first one to ignite it. I was like, what makes this guy so special? Yeah. Why, why did he get to ignite it when none of them have had a lightsaber before? He seemed to be an apprentice more than the rest of them being masters. Right. Right. That's what I was thinking as well. Um, but then it was just kind of nice to see that he wasn't as much as he was able to stand on his own and, and defend himself there at the end. It was really this complete and total novice, the master Juro, Har Juro Margrave, excuse me. And then the, I don't know how old she was going to be. I, I want to say like between 14 and 16. Um, yeah. Somewhere in there, I would guess. Yeah. But it's so she's entirely more competent than, than Ethan. And then, I guess I didn't really um, know what was going on until the very end with uh, what was the guy's name? Human or I, I something like it was, Yeah, Human. Yeah, yeah, where he's kind of like a big behemoth of a character, but his his red lightsaber went back to purple while he was like locked in in combat with Ethan, and I guess he was just they only they only reveal it through dialogue, but I guess he was just influenced by the other um, Sith acolytes. Yeah, it was interesting because I noticed like halfway through the fight, um, his lightsaber turned back to purple. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought he was supposed to be on the dark side there. So it was a nice, yeah. interesting touchstone of no, he's he was good. He was trying to do something. And the fact that they threw it in the middle before acknowledging it was a nice little note. Um, but I agree. Kara's competence was astounding when she first picked up the lightsaber in the Saber Forge. And the little droid started shooting at her, and she just deflected all of the bolts. I was like, this is yeah. not something that a random person should just be able to pick up a lightsaber and do. Is she a Jedi? What What's going on here? And then you got the whole revelations of she was with the Force since she was younger. Um, she had, you know, she grew up with a father that knew how to make lightsabers, and I think that was what made the scene of the speeder bike chase so good, because she... She could drive backwards, I'm assuming, because she could sense the trees. She didn't have sure. to look. And yeah. it, was, it, it was so well done. The storytelling without having to specifically tell us things that they did in this episode, and I think that's part of why it was just so good, is they let you make your own 
revelations and assumptions as time went on. Yeah, yeah, you get that title, the Ninth Jedi, and like I was constantly wondering, I was like, is Juro the Ninth Jedi? Is Ethan the Ninth Jedi? And then it turns out it was actually Kara, and yeah, super super fitting for her to be. Hey listeners, pardon the interruption to this episode of Animation Deliberation, just gotta hit you with a quick spoiler warning, and that's for Amazon Prime's Invincible Episode 1, so if you haven't seen that, just skip ahead about a minute. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, they have the nifty feature where you can skip ahead 30 seconds, so just tap that a couple of times, and you should be good to go. So, thanks for listening, keep tuning in, and back to the show. Um, I did want to bring up, though, with the fight sequence, as with it both being our favorite, um, I did feel like when Juro reveals himself and kind of start, first starts owning the Sith Acolytes, I <laughs> kind of got uh, invincible when Omni-Man oh. took out the uh, Guardians yes. of the Globe. It felt a little bit like that, where like, the the people too late realize that they're in over their head. And, and spoilers if you haven't seen Invincible. Um. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. I should have said that. <laughs> No worries, but uh, yeah, no, it was just that raw power that you felt from him in the same way that Omni-Man just has that presence. The minute that Juro uh, took out that first Sith Acolyte and grabbed the lightsaber, you were like, okay, things are things are going to happen here. Yeah, yeah. And that moment of all of them igniting the lightsabers and them being red was... Mm-hmm. I didn't see it coming. I fully was taken blindsided by that one there was that moment of something's going on why do they keep asking like i don't feel quite right about this but i did not expect that to have been what was wrong i didn't think it was going to be all of them i thought at at most it was going to be two of them that ended up being bad but yeah it was uh definitely a nice little uh i won't say a full-on whodunit but like the whole mystery um, of them constantly questioning. And then when uh, Juro finally does reveal himself and he was there the whole time, it's like, oh, for kind of sure. felt like clue a little bit too. Yeah, like... Now that you say <laughs> that though, can we please get a star Wars based uh, mystery movie? Ooh. I, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I would yeah. totally do a whodunit in that style. I'm also well, really partial to whodunits, but <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's a great thing with this series getting to see so many different styles and stories. Like I am a hundred percent advocate. Let star Wars play with as many different genres as possible. Let's get a mystery star Wars movie. Let's get a horror star Wars movie. Like I'd be fully on board for any of those things. Oh, for sure. And I'll, I was going to kind of save this for a summary at the end, but now feels like a really good time to say it. I am very hopeful for star Wars going forward. Now I know a lot Mm -hmm. of people were questioning what do we do now that the Skywalker saga is over? What other stories can we really tell that are going to be interesting to people? Not a yeah. single one of these stories was within that ballpark. They just let writers do something amazing within the world that George Lucas already built. And they all did a fantastic job of finding something unique to tell within this world. And I can't wait to see what comes next out of the great writers and directors that we've already got announced um, to be carrying on the helm from here on out. I want to know what Taika Waititi is going to do. It's going to be it's going to be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while we're taking a little bit of, of a break to talk about some of the things we would like to see and you bring up Taika Waititi and his upcoming film, I want to say just Rick, Fa- Rick Famayua, he's directed two episodes of uh, three episodes total of the Mandalorian. He did two episodes in, in uh, season one and one episode in season two. Give that man a live action Star Wars movie, please. He deserves it. 
Oh, for sure. What uh, do you happen to know off the top of your head? What episodes he did of? Oh, Manoel? yeah, yeah. And then just uh, since you were so cognizant to give spoilers for uh, yes. Invincible, I'll just say brief, uh, quick spoilers for Mandalorian. So, um, in season one, he did my favorite episode of that season, uh, episode two, the child, where um, the Mandalorian gets his interactions with the Jawas. Okay. For the egg, yes, getting the yes. egg and everything like that. <laughs> that one was so yeah. much fun. And then the other episode he did was actually, we were talking about kind of genre bending within Star Wars. I felt like this was the episode that's done it the most so far. It's that prison break episode where uh, the Mandalorian has to team up with some old cohorts and they kind of like betray him mid-mission. But there were definitely some sequences in that that I felt was like horror in the Star Wars universe. Yes, that one was good. And then did he also do the one in season two where he had to team back up with a... Yeah, with a... Bill Burr's character, Bill Burr's I can't character. remember what Mayhew. I think it was Mayhew or Mayfeld? something like that. Mayfeld, yeah, Mayfeld. good call. Yeah, yeah that that might even be one of my favorite episodes of that second season too. That one was just oh. so much fun. Agreed, agreed. And anytime you get an Office Space reference in the Star Wars universe, I'm I'm on board. <laughs> okay, now that we've had a, a little bit of a, uh... you and I could definitely talk way more about Star Wars just beyond this, but. <laughs> We're doing a good job. We're just talking about animation or trying. Indeed. 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 All right. Let's uh let's move on to the final episode of this hopeful first season. Maybe it'll be a one and done, but maybe we'll get another one. But uh episode nine, uh, I will let you pronounce this one because I feel like you will do a much better job than I will. Ah, oh, geez. Now there's some pressure on here. Um I would say <laughs> Akakari or Aka Okay. Akakiri. Okay. I had to guess that. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. Akakiri, Akakiri sounds right. Yeah. We got Science Saru returning, who did the TOB1 episode. And I feel like we talked about the different styles. And I, I said I didn't I didn't notice as much visual differences. There were some. But tone, this one is way, 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 way more dark than, than what we saw from their previous outing. Oh, for sure. I think uh, I'm actually a little surprised that this was the only super dark ending or rather running episode of the bunch. I kind of expected at least one of the other stories to take a turn. Yeah. But I think they did a fantastic job of being tonally harsh whilst also giving us the little bits of comedic relief and a great story along the way. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed this one uh, quite a bit. I, some things that stuck out to me is that I think it was one of the episodes that featured uh, the least amount of spoken dialogue. There were a lot of uh, times where they just kind of let you bask in the scene and absorb the atmosphere, especially there in the opening, just him battling um, the like almost ostrich mounted warriors there. Yes. Uh, it re- really reminded me like Samurai Jack. And again, just this almost... I don't know if you've watched the series from uh, Getty Tartakovsky, but he had uh, this one called Primal, where it's basically about a, a caveman and his uh, his dinosaur dog, for lack of a better term. But it does it does a very similar thing where it just there are long drawn out scenes with action and and no spoken dialogue, and you just get the emotion and the physical toll it's it's taking on the character through like grunts and, and stuff like that. That sounds really interesting, and I, I agree. They did a great job with the non-spoken uh, just showing. It also gave you great times to appreciate the art. Um, mm-hmm. I can't even pick one thing to say, or w- rather one reference to make. I mean, you could say Lord of the Rings or any random 
journey film they just had those moments of them crossing the countryside and like the there was the one that sticks out in my head of the silhouettes of the birds while they're kind of traveling along and the couple of gentlemen are singing they just let you bask in the art and they made it that journey film of you're just going to watch these people walk across a mountain but you're going to be excited about them walking across said mountain yeah (laughs) that's that's true that's a great comparison you bring up those two gentlemen that were singing and i i felt like that was like we got our timon and pumbaa there like those are archetypal characters where you have like kind of the bumbling but well-meaning um guides that are there along the journey yeah i don't know if it's just because of also the similar architecture and cultural notes i went to the uh the three gentlemen in mulan oh okay yeah yeah. cohorts yeah Um, Maybe that makes also sense. because they sing and have a great time with all of that. <laughs> but you know, yeah, a girl well, we're I fighting f- for is always going to be a wonderful song. Yeah, well, now that you bring up Mulan, I think the the shortest of those three that you're talking about, it's been a while since I've watched that one, but as I recall, the shortest of the three was kind of the angriest. He definitely he, um, he reminded me of... He was very reminiscent of the short one in this correct, as well. Correct, yeah. And yeah. I think that's why I went there too. Yeah, makes makes total sense. This one, uh, I, I did appreciate, again, like we talk about, like the satisfying dark conclusion. I'm, I'm glad that at least one of the stories ended on on such a dark note. Um, there were definitely parallels to Anakin, obviously. It's like a, a story we've seen trying to, to save a loved one and having this prophecy out there and trying to, um, you know, avert avert your fate. But uh, that's, that's one of the things, as poetic as Star Wars is, uh, sometimes it ends in tragedy. Yeah, it was a turn that I definitely didn't see coming. As much as the evidence was there, I was like, no, he's going to stay good. He's going to stay good. He's going to do it for the girl. No, this, you know, uh, hulking woman, I guess is the best way to describe her, just came out, (laughs) showed exactly how powerful she was and said, you are going to submit to me or she's going to die and probably you as well. And he had no choice but to make the dark turn. And that was exactly what happened they did a fantastic job of telling that story and also just in terms of it being um you know this woman that i was it the king's or previous king's sister that's yeah he said that via dialogue yeah yeah that it was there was turmoil on this planet there was a resistance going on they were trying to take back the throne but for the first time in star wars it wasn't the empire it wasn't the separatists it was just a small scale thing happening on a planet and a jedi happening to go back i had a moment of and you may not uh totally get this one so slight spoilers for you in the clone wars um obi-wan and duchess satine um okay he has a very good relationship with this woman on a planet him and Qui-Gon saved years ago. He goes back just to help her with her small problems um, on the throne. Okay. And it well, felt very yeah. similar of this Jedi helped her while he was a Jedi and then said, I'm going to come back and help you again. Yeah. Well, yeah. If that's the case, I, again, I, I know who you said Sabine, right? Satine, not Sabine. Satine. Okay. I was going to say. Sabine is a relative of Satine. okay it gets a little okay it gets a little weird they are both mandalorian so yeah 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 i i have enough exposure to know who some of these characters are so yeah i mean it it, it sounds very very similar in in that regard because that's basically essentially what happens here yeah uh but obi-wan doesn't turn yeah for sure <laughs> that's true yeah yeah you're it's not exactly the same in that regard yeah in terms of like him having like these flashes to the future, but we don't know it at the time, it seems like it's a, a traumatic memory from the past. 
that kind of stuff reminded me both of like the, I don't know if you've seen these films, but Memento and 12 monkeys where you have like this protagonist that has like this curse of knowledge of the, of the future and they're doing everything in their power to avoid it, but their actions actually seal their fate. The fact that he kept seeing that person that he killed and it ends up being the person he was trying to save all along. Yeah. And I was wondering like, is it going to be the girl? Is it going to be the girl? And right before it happened, it was like, Oh no, it's a soldier in his vision. That's not a problem. And then it still was the girl. So they did that. They did a good job of, you know, having that burden of knowledge, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I I just, uh, I think I kind of mentioned it briefly. Uh, It was science Saru again. So they did that TOB one episode and we talked about some of like the sponginess and almost like watercolor feel. I feel like some of that did um, translate across, but this was much more um, abstract. I felt like you had more like basic shapes and a lot more like harsh, hard angles and stuff like that. And I think that's what kind of lent me into that uh, Samurai Jack kind of feel. Yeah, as soon as you said Samurai Jack, I agree. It has that angular shaping in the same way that he does, and it was it was very well done. Um, I mean, across yeah. the board, we've had nothing but good things to say about the art, and I don't think that will ever change. These anime studios know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, we've covered all nine episodes at this point, so I've, I feel like we're probably winding towards the end there i will uh open up the floor to you just to kind of highlight anything anything else about the series that you haven't had the opportunity to say yet i mean i think we've kind of hit all the major notes just because there was so much good to say that we've been talking for so long i i've been able to get it all out which is really nice i will say i absolutely love this format i was concerned at first that they were releasing it all on one day now that I mm-hmm. see that they were only 15, 20 minute chunks, I think it would have been weird to only be getting one a week. So having yeah. it be this kind of come out at once and watch it, I think really helped it be a good medium in this case for it. And I honestly kind of want Disney to continue on this pace of uh, working with anime and uh, Japanese storytelling, whether it be for Star Wars or not. If they yeah. just open it up to their... Uh, you know, any of their properties, I would be okay with a couple. I mean, we're already getting this in some form in what if, but if we weren't and they wanted to do Marvel, Hey, tell a story in the Marvel universe. I think it would be really interesting. And I hope the show uh, does well enough that Disney continues on this path. I think it's a, I think it's a really, really good one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. It doesn't have to be star Wars and doesn't even have to be Marvel for me. If you want to like go back to something like the rocketeer, I'd be totally open to seeing the rocketeer done in this kind of style or just give us completely new stories, like whatever, whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm completely on board for it. If it's all of, of this quality um, it's going to be great. And we've, we've talked about how much we enjoyed all of these episodes and how there's pretty much something there for everybody. I I agree with you. Dropping it all at once was the right strategy because obviously some of these episodes are going to land a lot better than other ones. And I, I think it's just best to like, let people relish the ones that they, they really resonate with. Um, that being said, I, I really do want to get some feedback from people. Uh, we know Star Wars is a treasured fandom within the, well, it's just a treasured fandom, period. But uh, within the Stranded Panda Network, I know there's a lot of fans. So um, let us know what your thoughts are. Animation Deliberation Podcast at gmail.com is the best place to send those thoughts. And uh, I will remind you, we have the review contest going on right now. So that'll enter you for the chance to win a Nintendo Switch or an Oculus Rift. All you have to do is submit a review to one or 
all of the nine shows on the stranded panda network and um yeah please participate in that andrew do you have anything that you'd like to plug to let the people know that you have going on uh no uh keep listening to this show because uh whenever jay scotty or zuhair want me to be here i will most likely be here so if <laughs> you want to keep you, hearing more of my voice then uh, i guess you're just gonna have to keep tuning in here right on right on yeah we, we definitely appreciate you so thanks for being here i have had nothing but fun I, I will tell you that much it has been a great ride i hope that everyone out there has enjoyed adding me to it i, I know it's definitely been a bit weird for me listening to just have a extra voice in the void it's probably weirder <laughs> because it's my own voice and i'm still listening to every episode <laughs> but i, that's, that's I hope it's been a nice transition for everyone to yeah. hear a bit more of me <laughs> Like I said, you always bring a, a lot of great passion, a lot of great insights. So you're you're welcome anytime. Um, as for myself, animation deliberation. Obviously, we've got uh, the ongoing what if coverage. We'll also be covering Young Justice season three in preparation for season four, which will drop next month. And then uh, I do have the ongoing uh, Pan Division coverage for what we do in the shadows. And then there's uh, some Bingers stuff I'm appearing on as well, uh, including 007. So a lot of stuff going on, but. Stay tuned to all of that. That's T-O-O-N-E-D. Thanks, folks. Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Stranded Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandedpanda.com or join the great community that is the Stranded Panda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash svchat. Tune in next time, and remember, stay whelmed. When you're at Walt Disney World Resort for the world's most magical celebration, every moment is amazing and the memories last a lifetime. Because when you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. Stay near the magic. Book your theme park tickets and get hotel rates from $94 per night plus tax at DisneySpringsHotels.com slash 50. Rates based on availability. Blockout dates may apply. See website for details. With Hannah Anderson, mornings are a little happier. The kids wake up refreshed after a full night's sleep in their super soft PJs. After breakfast, they love getting dressed on their own, as long as it's in Hannah's. The organic cotton is so comfortable and perfect for school and play. They're truly worth every penny. The colors and softness hold up wash after wash, which is why my kids are always happy in Hannah's. Hannah Anderson, made to play, made to last. Shop back to school and get 15% off with code FALL15. Owning a business comes with pressure. There's a limit to what I can do and still keep employees engaged. Fortunately, there's Insperity. They put 30-plus years of HR experience to work to help me with hiring, training, HR administration, and compliance, while giving my employees competitive benefit options. And because I'm able to focus on other priorities, my employees can thrive and my business can grow. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. 
Grand Canyon University, a Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering over 250 engaging programs online. GCU integrates the free market system and its welcoming Christian worldview perspective into its academic programs and throughout its online campus. GCU's online students received over $144 million in scholarships in 2021. Visit gcu.edu/myoffer to see the scholarships you qualify for. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University.